Good morning, church family. Good to see each one of you here today. I know this is a little different. Um, Ridge is sick, sick. And um, he said he came down Friday and he laid in bed all day long and Saturday was the same. And he said, so uh, I'm not going to be there. So um, uh, God has put something on my heart to share with you this morning. Can you turn me down just a hair? Uh, and um, I pray that it will speak to you as it has to me. Um, this morning, I want to talk about uh, one last giant. Now, we all have giants in our lives, and, and uh, I want to talk to you about a particular giant that was found in the Bible, and his name is Og. Now, to give you a little background as to... Uh, um, as to where we are here, as the children of Israel make their way into Canaan or the promised land, they are confronted by two groups of giants. And uh, these two groups, Og was, uh, was part of the group called the, the Rephites, and there was also another group, the Anakites. And the children of Israel came to Canaan to take, that, take the land that God had promised them. But before they could take the land, before they could possess the land, they had to take the land from the giant. Before they could possess it, they had to take it. So let's look at Deuteronomy 1, 19 through 28. And uh, let's get a little background here. And this is Moses uh, recounting what has happened. So read with me in... Uh, Chapter 1, verse 19. Then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out for her and went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all the vast and dreadful wilderness that you have seen. And we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving you. See, the Lord your God is has given you the land, has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Now, this is Moses recounting what he already told him at one point. Verse 22, Then all of you came to me and said, Let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and they went up into the hill country and they came to the valley of Eshcol and explored it. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, this is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Verse 26, But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say, 
the people are stronger, they're taller than we are, the cities are larger, the walls are up to the sky. You see, these giants terrified the children of Israel. They said that the, that the people were so big that they made them feel like grasshoppers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the opportunity, God, to come together and to worship. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak this morning. I pray that you give us spiritual ears to hear, that you give us spiritual eyes to see. I pray that you would speak to each one of us here today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's fast forward to the time as the Israelites are getting ready to go into the promised land for a second time. The Bible tells us how God had raised up a new generation of fighting men. The old generation had died as they were in the wilderness all the time. And when the last of the fighting men died, then he was ready to move with his new plan. Leadership was changing and the Israelites had defeated all the giants but one. The last one was King Og. On the other side of Og was the promised land and everything they had dreamed of. On the other side of Og was their destiny. They were one giant away from having everything. One giant away from prophecy and God's plan being fulfilled in their lives. One giant away from stability and a permanent place to live, no longer wandering in the wilderness. They were one giant away. And let me just tell you something. You know, ever since God's people moved into the promised land, Satan has been trying to move them out. Just think about it for a minute. All the wars, all the fighting, all the stuff that's happened in the Middle East and has happened is because of Israel and involves Israel. All of Israel's neighbors have made it abundantly clear to them that there will be no peace until they are removed from the place, from the place that God gave them many, many years ago. But I'm here to tell you, God made a promise and he will not go back on that promise ever. Let's get back on track now. So how many of you know that uh, just before a great victory that that uh, the enemy releases his greatest attacks? I mean, just before something good's going to happen, you see all kinds of things happen. Satan's really busy. So you would think that this giant, Og, would be the greatest of them all. All the giants have been wiped out in other battles. Now there's only one left. There's something about King Og. He must have been fierce. He must have been mighty. And so it makes you stop and wonder, what did he have that would make him so tough? What was so different about him? He had outlasted all the other Anakites and the Raphites, so he, he's got to be a superman, right? But the Bible says nothing about his military might. 
It says nothing about his weapons. It says nothing about the armies he had defeated. Now, I think this is sort of strange because when we read about another giant, Goliath, the Bible tells us quite a bit about him. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 5, it says, He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shackles. Now, the Bible tells us he was nine feet tall. Okay, that's further than I can reach, okay? He was nine feet tall. Tells us that his armor weighed about 150 pounds. His spearhead alone weighed 20 pounds. The size of a man that would be able to carry and use this kind of weaponry would be enough to scare anybody. Just, just think about it for a minute. He's got on 150 pounds. And he's carrying around weaponry that, that weighs quite a bit more. I mean, this guy was massive. But the Bible does not say anything about Og's weapons or anything about his armor. All the Bible says about the last giant that the Israelites had to conquer was that he had a king-sized bed. The only thing it mentions is a king-sized bed. The only thing standing between Israel and the promised land was a king-sized bed. That's somewhat of a letdown because you would think, you would think that there would be more about this giant, especially since he is a king. Flip over a couple of pages to Deuteronomy 3. And it talks about Og, and it talks about this bed. In 3.11 it says, Og, king of Bashan, was the last of the Raphites. His bed was, was decorated excuse me, with iron. It was more than nine cubics long and four cubics wide. Nine cubics. Now, we don't understand cubics too good, or I don't. So, so uh, I'd look it up. Okay, the bed was about 13 feet long. <laughs> 13 feet long and six foot wide. That's a big bed. That's a big bed. He so said he must have been a big man. So why does the Bible mention the bed? Well, I believe it's because it, 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 everything in the Bible is to tell us something. And I see it mentioned because God is trying to tell us something very important. Upon preparing for battle, we'd be thinking about a sword. We'd be thinking about a shield. We'd be thinking about a spear. But these are not even mentioned. But I believe the big bed represents something that we wouldn't normally consider. But, it, but then again, think about it. I believe it represents slumber. It represents sleep. Taking it easy and relaxing. It represents just kicking back and not worrying about the battle. 
Just take it easy. Don't be so, so intense on this. Don't get so excited. You know, once you're saved, you don't have to worry about, about sin stopping you. Jesus took care of that. Temptation can't stop you. God will not allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. Satan can't stop you. He's been defeated at the cross. Amen? One of the greatest things Satan has to throw at you and to throw at me is this. It's the at-ease disease. The at-ease disease. Oh, I know we don't need another disease right now with all the junk that's going on, but this is not a disease that's brand new. This at-ease disease has been around since way back in the biblical days. It's been back since the, since the creation. When you get the at-ease disease, you start to lose the fire you had when you got saved. You start to lose your passion for Christ. You aren't touched when you think about Jesus dying a horrible death for us on that cross. And you stop being concerned about the thousands of people who are dying and going to hell every single day all around the world because they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. Thousands of people, many right here in our neighborhood. The at ease disease sounds like this. Now that's enough. I don't need to do any more. Or I went to church and I put in my time for this week. I have other things to worry about. After all, it is my time. Or I had a wonderful time at church with my friends, but now it's time for me to focus on school or work. And I don't want to be a stick in the mud. And I definitely don't want people to think I'm a Jesus freak or one of those Christians who are holier than thou. How about this? Well, I don't need to praise God. I'm all worn out. After all, he already knows I love him. Maybe this, I don't need to lift my voice and sing to him. Besides, I really can't sing that good anyway. All just excuses. But Satan will attack you in any way he can. And he will try his best. He will try his very best to tell you to relax. He'll say, you don't have to stay after it. You've already done enough. Just relax. After all, no one else is doing anything. So just let it go. Just let it go. Don't worry about it. One of the greatest threats that you can that can come into our lives as Christians is when we buy into Satan's lies. And one of his lies is just kick back. Just lay down in the spiritual bed of ease. Because if we do that, then we lose everything that God has done in our lives. We lose things that God has done in our lives. So let's uh, look at something right quick. Let's look at Revelation 3. Fifteen and sixteen. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This is Jesus talking. Why would Jesus say this? I will spit you out. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Why would he say this? Because the at-ease disease will make you vomit. It will make something that God does not like. So I want you to tell me, does Jesus, does Jesus really want lukewarm Christians? Does he really want lukewarm Christians? Does he, does he want you to lay down in this spiritual bed and just relax? Is that his plan for us? I don't think so. It never has been and never will be. You remember Goldilocks? Well, she goes to the bear's house. She sits down in the chairs and one's too big, one's too little, and one's just right. She goes to the kitchen and she tries some porridge. One's too hot, one's too cold, one's just right. Finally, she goes into the bedroom. She lays down the bed and she tries each one. One's too hard, one's too soft. But one is just right. But if you remember, she went to sleep. And if we're not careful, we will lay down and we will go to sleep. And that is just what Satan had in mind all along. That's just what Satan would have you to do. That's what, what Satan would have me to do. Just lay down and take it easy. Because of our at-ease disease, we want to get all comfortable. And when the preacher starts to step on our toes, we want to criticize him and we want to ask him to tone it down a little bit. Because we want the preaching that is just right. We say, don't give me anything to challenge me. Don't give me anything to convict me. All I want is that just right feel. I didn't come to church for you to do that to me. You make me feel bad. And then when I leave here, it's like I've got this thing I have to deal with. Or what about this? And this is probably one that we've all used from time to time. He must be preaching to Joel or he must be preaching to Wilna because I know can't be for me. Let me tell you from a personal experience. Years ago when I was sitting in the church, I know it is directed towards you. And if you're busy sleeping, you will never see it and you will never hear it. Again, from a personal experience, I'm going to tell you, wake up. God is trying to talk to you. He is trying to speak to you. He is trying to tell you something. I sat there in that church for like a month and Gary Hodak beat me up every single Sunday. It was as if he was standing right there pointing right straight at me saying, Joel, Joel, Joel. You can ask my wife. After about a month, I told her, I said, we're not going to go back to church anymore. She said, what's wrong? And I said, Gary Hodak is beating me up every single Sunday. Guess what? God was speaking to me. I asked Gary about that. 
Yeah, I mean, I was under conviction of that. I asked Gary about that, and he said, hey, I didn't, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking. I'm not talking to you specifically today. I'm talking. But if the Holy Spirit convicts you, then good. That's his job. Wake up. God is trying to talk to you. When you're more interested in texting or visiting with your friends or writing notes or looking at the watch wondering what time it is or whatever else you do to listen to what I'm saying, to not listen to the preacher. Anything to not listen to the preacher. You have all the signs of the at-ease disease. Let me tell you something. You're missing out on what God has for you because you're listening to the enemy who's saying, lay down where it's just right. Lay down where it's just right. You remember a guy in the Bible, his name is Samson? And everything was good until he listened to his girlfriend who said, lay down here in my lap where it's just right. He was invincible as long as he followed what God had for him. Let me tell you something else. The at-ease disease is contagious. So you need to get immunized. What am I talking about? First thing you have to do is accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And maybe there's somebody here today that needs to do that. But if you have Jesus in your heart, you can still get this disease. But you need to read God's word, pray. You need to fellowship with other believers. You need to spend time with Jesus. You need to be on fire for the Lord. Have a passion when it comes to Jesus. You know, if a person has to ask you if you're Christian, then you have the disease. If someone has to ask you if you're a Christian, you have the at-ease disease. But don't be discouraged. Jesus is the one who can heal you. Amen? Jesus is the one who can heal you. You know, just like the, 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 the Israelites are going into the land of Canaan, going into the promised land, for you and for me, there's a place of stability. There's a place of consistency. There's a place of permanency. There's a place where God wants us to be. But before you can get there, you have to kill one last giant. Oh, kill sounds like a harsh word, and, and we don't want to do that. But let me remind you of something. And it says this in the Bible. Satan is out to kill, steal, and destroy. And I'm here today to tell you that he is out to get you. He's out to get you and he's out to get me. To kill, steal, and destroy. Don't ever get comfortable. Don't ever let your guard down. Don't rest. And don't settle for anything less than the best that God has for you.
Don't settle for anything less than that. You know, 2020 was a hard year in lots of ways. But at the same time, God did a lot of incredible things in 2020. So I'm not going to brush the year off and say it was all bad. Yep, there were some hard things. But remember, remember 2020, but don't focus on it. Don't get caught up in all the junk, okay? Remember it and learn from it and move on. And as we move forward into 2021, I want to challenge each one of you, including myself, with three things. And I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Tom Henderson sent me these yesterday <laughs> as I'm preparing this message. He sent me these. Well, matter of fact, I want to read you something. I want to read you something right quick. Apostle Paul gives us some worthy goals for 2021. And as he talks about his walk with the Lord in Philippians 3.10, this is what it says. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death. That was the verse that he sent me. And the three things I want to challenge you with going into 2021 are this. First, to know him more intimately. To know Jesus more intimately. How are you going to do that? By spending time with him. You don't get to know someone more intimately by talking to them once a month. To know him more intimately, spend time with Jesus. To experience his power more completely. The Holy Spirit has given us so much power. We just don't tap into it. We have power, folks. You have Jesus inside you. You have power. To know his power more completely. And the third one, to follow him without hesitation. To follow him without hesitation. You know, most of the time we want to say we follow him, but usually we stop first. And sometimes we don't even do it. But to follow him without hesitation, I'm reminded of when Jesus called the disciples. If you go back and look, when he called them, it says that immediately they followed My prayer for you and my prayer for me is that in the next year we would follow without hesitation. Now you're looking in the that's easy for you to say, Joel, because you do it. No, uh-uh, uh-uh, I don't. I'm not perfect. Just a couple of weeks ago, God told me to do something. I hesitated. I did not, I did not jump on it immediately, argued with God. Pretty much what we all do. Arrogant, I said, I can't do that. I forgot. He told me he has, he has what it takes to make it happen. 
When I was obedient, I was blessed more than I possibly could ever imagine. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to step into the water. We don't want to get our feet wet because it's going to mess up our nice Sunday shoes. Now I'm telling you right now, take the step and the waters will part. Follow him without hesitation. Whatever you do in this coming year, don't lose out on what God has planned for you. Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. Remember when you were first saved? I don't know about y'all, but man, I was, of course, I'm still pretty much crazy, according to a lot of people, but it's like when people get saved, they're, they're changed, they're different, they're on fire. And then it just fades away. Fall in love with Jesus all over. Ask God to ignite that fire again so that you can be passionate. So that when people look at you, they see something different. We're not meant to be like the rest of the people in the world. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And yeah, we want heaven and we want all that, but we don't want to know the hard parts. We don't want to, we don't want to have to witness to someone that's not like me. Or not my friend. Well, you're not going to witness to your friend probably anyway. In 2021, you're still here for a reason. You're here today for a reason. And that reason is that God can use you. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us so very, very much. God, we thank you that you provide for us. God, that you give us so very, very much. You, you pour out on us. We don't deserve what you do for us. We deserve exactly the opposite. And God, as your people, would you help us to be the people that we're supposed to be? the people that you've called us to be. Would you help us as we go into, into the new year to, to love you more, to want to experience that power more completely, to understand more about you, to follow you without hesitation. To follow you without hesitation, to not stop, to not think about it and try to rationalize and to try to, try to make it our way because your ways are not our ways. God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who does not know Jesus, today would be the day of salvation for them. I can't even imagine facing tomorrow not knowing where I'm going to spend eternity. Thank you, Lord, for the promises you give us. For allowing us to be a part of the family of God, for loving us enough that you sent us your, your son, your one and only son, Father. We love you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name.